0: Uh, It's 10.30, and I promised you, you'd be out by 12.30, so I want to go ahead and get started. I think today is going to be a very interesting day. It's it's rare that I can tell you that a message has a little bit more humor than uh, normal, but this message this week was interesting because it was about sending people out, and as I started thinking about sending people out and different things that came to my mind, um, a lot of funny stories came to mind, so... For those of you that are uptight and stressed out, and this week was really difficult, or maybe just getting here, I'm, this, I think this morning will be a little bit more for you, because it's a, it's a very down-to-earth message, but it's based on something called modeling, and I'm looking forward to sharing my ideas about modeling with you, because, you know, everything that's happening in the church is, is kind of fun and exciting. Last week, the idea that God would start this church in the Gentiles in Antioch. Right of all the places to start in the potential world, you pick one of the most not clean and healthy places, and even the church that's selected is like a church that has a really historically naughty root going through them. And I'm, I'm being kind when I call it a naughty root; it, it's a dirty root right? And all the different things that are going on. And he's like, this is where we're going to make our stand. And from this port village, this port village that's strategically located on a river, it's going to go out. Remember, it had to start in Jerusalem, right? It was a local thing for the Jews, about the Jews, and working with the Jews. And then it's moving out to Samaria. But at some point, the word of God has to go to the ends of the earth, And the fact that we sit here today in Costa Mesa is proof that it did what it was supposed to do. And the fact that it continues to go out is proof that it will continue to go out until the Lord actually returns. But as it goes, we learned last week, once you start to send the word of God out, once you start to bring the truth about who Christ is to the world, adversity will follow. You can be assured of that. If you want to live a godly life, if you decide to be baptized, let's say when we did baptism a couple weeks ago, and we're always available for baptism, but just the concept of someone raising their hand and saying, I want to be baptized, it's important that I have a class with those people because just the few weeks before the baptism class, their life always seems to ramp up. Find someone who has recently baptized them and ask them, it'll always seem to ramp up. And they're like, Pastor Jeff, why is this so? Well, here's my affirmation to you in a couple of conversations this week with some pretty deep counseling. The question is, how can we do what we know we're not supposed to do anymore because it doesn't bring the same joy? Doesn't that mean there's something wrong with me? And I said, no, think about what you're saying. I'm doing the same sins that I did before, but now they come with a consequence. Now they come with this something inside of me is going on that says, no, 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 we don't do that anymore. Is that affirmation that something happened or is it denial of something happening? It's affirmation that something happened, right? You can't live that old life anymore because the Spirit of God is living inside of you. So when you say you're going to be baptized, it's not just a little thing. It's like putting a ring on publicly, right? You're going to stand in front of a bunch of people and say, I'm professing Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. You don't think that's going to ramp it up spiritually speaking? It will. But like this individual that I was spending time with this week, if you're one of those people who struggles, you're in good company. The Bible talks about it many different times, especially throughout the New Testament, where the apostles and the writers of the scripture say, why do we keep doing these things that we know we're not supposed to keep doing, right? We do them because it's our sin nature, and our heart is proverbially wicked, and so we're fighting against these things. We're fighting against these things, and so part of the thing that's so exciting about this week is like, You feel like, okay, you make this commitment to follow God, you make this commitment to go wherever the Spirit sends you, but what are you supposed to do? Like, how are we supposed to know what to do? And I think that's really the key point for today, because it's been modeled for us. There's things that God has given us to do and ways to do it that will help kind of offset the difficulties of doing a difficult task, And uh, and I'm looking forward to getting to my story, but I will not get ahead of myself. So here's what's gonna happen. Peter has been the central focus from chapter one through last week, 13. Peter, okay? It's been about Peter, 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 Peter. He was in jail last week, as you remember. He was kind of jailbroke. He went to the upper room, knocks on the door, they leave him outside. Now Peter is gonna go and he's gonna go into a little bit of hiding. He's gonna stand down for a couple chapters and he's gonna spiritually rebuild. The baton is gonna pass and Paul is going to come in, okay? Paul is still Saul, but halfway through today's uh, passage, he changes officially from Saul to Paul, so it's going to go from Peter to Paul, and no, Mary is not going to join us in this one, so I'm so sorry for all you 50s rock, no? No Peter, Paul, Mary? A couple of you, okay, 14 of you. But I mean, yeah. every time I say that sequence, it's always like, and remember, there's a lot of Marys in the Bible. There's a lot of Jameses in the Bible. And today we're going to find out actually that Jesus was actually a pretty popular name too. So we'll try to clarify some of that stuff. But the difference for today is the church was established last week. Today, the very first time the church, us, the church, is going to send out missionaries. Okay? Send out Okay? At this point, everyone's been coming in, and at this point, people have kind of been going and shuffling around. But remember, they were going because they were under persecution, right? Saul, the guy who's coming in today, Saul, who's going to be Paul, was a persecutor of Christians. And because he was driving around and, and persecuting Christians all over, Christians were dispersed, okay? but they weren't sent. Big difference, and we're going to really spend some time today talking about the difference between being sent and went, And i got a key little phrase in there that I'm going to teach you about that, because the church models sending. Just like you saw the guys come up today, completely unbeknownst to us, as I was sitting in the lobby working on my Medicare application, (laughs) perfect for Pastor Jeff Loss, why they're calling his name, Um, that's that's a commissioning. That idea of approving someone or praying for someone and then praying over them, that's a commissioning, and that's modeled today in the passage that we'll be reading, which is going to be uh, Acts 13. 1 through 12. So if you, if you know a lot about what's going on, if you don't know a lot, a lot about what's going on, like I said, the church is growing, everything's happening, people are getting ready to be sent out, and they're going to try to figure out where to go. Some of the figures are going to change. Barnabas is also going to kind of step into the scene, and as we get ready to do and pray that this morning, I pray that this morning you would remember this. Although we're talking about the first two officially sent missionaries, every single one of you sitting here today needs to realize something. You, too, are a missionary. You, too, are officially being sent and commissioned. And with something like this today, I want to remind you that when you leave these doors today and head back into your Costa Mesa, Long Beach, San Pedro, Whittier, Newport, Tustin, Wherever you're going to go, world, when you leave and you go there, you are on behalf of this church being commissioned to take the word of God with you. May the encouragement that comes from it today be simple and useful to help you keep the main thing, the main thing. Let's pray. Father God, this morning is, as always, a blessing, and there's a lot of excitement. I just, I feel like the simplicity of your word sometimes is so amazing and I wish more people could hear it and I wish more people would be encouraged by the fact that it's oftentimes in life we we put other people like missionaries we had the missionary month last month and we think about what people are doing in a foreign country and we think man that is so impressive that is so amazing I'm so grateful there's people doing it and we underestimate the value of what we're actually doing here today Today, after this church, there's going to be people going to restaurants and going to people's homes and hanging out in different areas, and there's going to be a multitude of lost surrounding them, Father. I pray that your church would be edified and encouraged, blessed, Father, and even rebuked if necessary, Father, for them to realize that in this life you will have adversity. And in this life, the more you chase Jesus and the more you represent him, the more adversity is going to follow you. But take heed, he has overcome the world and he will give us the strength and he has modeled for us what we need to do. We ask it, Father, you bless this morning, your son's precious and holy name, amen. All right, one funny story. When I was a kid, my dad said, after seventh grade, I was spending too much time at home playing games. We, Atari was just coming on I needed to practice. My dad said, no, you're not going to be a professional Atari player. It was just like the little TV Pong game. You're going to go join one of the clubs after school. That was the mandate. I went to school, school ended. I looked at the list of things. I wrote it down. Chess, too complex, way too complex. Went to the first chess class, bunch of nerds, way too complex. And the whole, co- no, absolutely. I didn't like school. Why would I go take on another thing that was way too complex? And the kids were too serious about it. They literally played it all day long. Chess, out. Track and field or exercise. Okay, I was a large boned kid growing up. I'm still large boned. I'm six foot one, 223 and change as of this morning. And I am the largest person in the dialysis unit by at least 120 pounds, okay? Track is, this is not a body for track, okay? This is a body that goes to a track, maybe a race car track or something like that and consumes beverages or whatever, but not running. That was way out. Still to this date, way out. By the way, I'm pigeon-toed, if you didn't know the inside information. Pigeon-toed, not a pretty thing to watch me run, really. The whole, it would've been bad for people. Um, What other opportunities were there? Model Rocket Club. Now that sounded exciting. Seventh grade, the ladies should be in there. Not a single lady in model rocket club. Okay, that didn't work out for any of that. But I walked in there and these kids were fascinating to me. They're like little scientists, right? And you got to build something that actually blew up and flew up in the air and then a thing popped out and the little chute came out. It was fascinating. I thought I could do this. Cost a little bit of money to buy the club thing. And I told my dad, hey, I need to buy my rocket first. I bought my rocket. Then I realized something. My brothers and me were pretty creative. We probably could build that puppy in the garage. Maybe I didn't need the Rocketing Club, just needed the rocket, started building it in the garage. Turns out that's not a good idea to give uh, young boys, three boys, I have two older brothers, uh, rocket engines, model parts. Not only did we not build rockets, but nothing ever flew, but there was explosions. And there is the possibility that in the town of Tustin where I grew up, a small hill fire did occur from something that looked a lot like a rocket going off. But it wasn't really a rocket. We're not really sure. The tube kind of went up and all that. It came down, and then the hillside caught on fire, and we ran the other way. And we really, to this day, don't know if we officially flew a rocket. My dad was very despondent hearing that, and he said, you will finish that rocket club, and you will build a rocket, or it's going to be a problem. My dad was not really good at any of that stuff. So I, oh, okay, Dad. So I went and I watched. I learned how to read like little blueprints, right? Like how to follow the actual like little plan and all that stuff. That was so influential in my brain that even as today, I am one of those dads who likes to buy things and actually follow, follow the things. So, I recently went to Ikea and halfway through the project, through the modeling thing, and ended up with four bolts, but the project still worked. Now, when it falls apart later on in life, I will still be struggling with something, that something as simple as modeling, that God gives us something to follow so that we can get to the finished product. Why is it so difficult to do, right? Today, I believe that in this passage, it's going to be modeled for us so simply that there's a way that we should do missions, Okay, you're going to be, you're a missionary, and every one of you will be one. I'm going to give you like four or five little clues that I think are in this passage, and maybe if you could just start with one or two of them, okay, and incorporate that into how you do missions. I think it would help you. I think God has actually given us a blueprint of how we could do things so we can actually get to the finished product, a successful missionary who takes the word of God out no matter what the situation is. And trust me, when you take the word of God out, they will come against you. So here we go. Let's read. We're going to start in 13, and we'll go all the way through. Now, there were prophets and teachers in Antioch in the church, and there was Barnabas, Simeon, who was called the Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, and they were, and Menaean was brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were serving the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set Barnabas and Saul apart from me for the work which I have called them. And then when they had fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and sent them away. You saw that model this morning, right? Starting verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues to the Jews. They also had John as their helper. That's uh, John Mark. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they found a magician, a Jewish false prophet whose name was Bar-Jesus. And with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, they summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. Verse 8. But Elemaeus, the magician, for his name is translated, was opposing them and seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, stared at him, and he said... You are full of deceit and fraud. You, son of the devil, Your enemy. you're the enemy of all righteousness, and you will, st- you will stop making crooked the straight ways of the Lord. Verse 11, Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon him, and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist and a darkness fell upon him, this is the magician, fell upon him, and he went about seeking those who could lead him by the hand. Verse 12, then the proconsul believed what he had saw and what had happened. He was amazed at the teaching of the Lord. Okay, so the first verse is important, and a lot of times when you read a passage, you kind of skip through things. But there was a there was a description of a bunch of people that were involved. Now I am one of those people that will clarify for you. I do not believe that there's anything random in the Bible. I do not believe there's anything random in the Bible. Right? If you could make the sun and the stars pull a planet 93 million miles away, design systems, then I believe that everything that you do, whether I understand it or not, was for a reason. So I started asking myself, why are there so many different people? It seems like they're from all different ways and walks of life. Remember, they were all escaping being attacked or being persecuted by Saul. So it caused people to leave from wherever they were. It wasn't just Jerusalem. It was a worldwide thing. Wherever there was Jews, they were all leaving and they were seeking places where they could find asylum, and they found it in Antioch. And because of that, the first thing I think this shows is the diversity of leadership, the diversity of leadership in Antioch was such that God knew that the church was going to need resources. God knew that these guys were going to be up against it. And if he could diversify the leadership, then that meant when they went out, he would keep the main thing, the main thing, having in their back pocket different cultural nuances, different social understandings, different languages, different whatever it was that they had was going to be a huge value to them. So let me break down for you these five people so that you can see what I saw how absolutely nothing is random about this first group. Barnabas. Barnabas' actual name is the Encourager, right? That's a cool name, if you're gonna have a name you're gonna follow up with. I'm Barnabas, the Encourager. Where's he from? He's from the island of Cyprus, which is gonna be involved today because once they start out on their first mission and they realize how important this is, that, uh, the fact that his island's only 100 miles away is gonna be a huge pull for them. Barnabas is a Levite, okay? Levite, we're not using Levite in our modern-day languages much because we have Levi's. That's as close as we get to Levite. But a Levite, a Levitical person, was someone from the 12 tribes who was raised generationally to do one thing and one thing only, perform the tasks in the temple. So, so a Levite, if you were from the Levitical tribe, that's all you know. And so it came with a lot of clout. I'm talking a lot of clout back then. It made you a known person. We're going to see how important that is coming up. Simeon called Niger. Niger means black. His uh, name, Simeon, means to hear, and he is from North Africa. North Africa, and he was considered a great and powerful leader. Some diversity in that. Simeon, by the way, they also believe is Simon the Cyrene. You remember at the point Jesus had someone help him carry the cross? Simon the Cyrene was the person that helped Jesus carry the cross. They believe it's the same guy, big, strong individual. His friend, Lucius the light, okay, his friend is The Niger the black this is the light he's also from central Libya and North Africa he was known as a brave prophet a brave prophet so you have a wise strong prophet you have a brave prophet you have someone called the encourager next in this lineup is Saul which is you can always change his name to Paul Paul is a Roman citizen from Tarsus which is modern-day Turkey he's a Jew with pharisaical background a Jew with pharisaical background. So you have a Levite, a Jew, Central Libya, North Libya, African, strong, strong, and uh, heroic. heroic. Finally, there's one last person. Who else could be joining them? Manaan. His name means comforter. Who did he grow up with? Herod. You guys remember Herod's name from last week, right? Herod Antipas. He's the one trying to kill everyone. His grandfather, Herod the Great, the one who tried to kill Jesus. Herods are like the rulers, they're like the ruling people, so they would be considered aristocratical. And it says here, a little clue, that he grew up with Herod. So this is, a, this is a seriously eclectic group. So you have a Levitical islander, two brave North African leaders, one Roman Pharisee, and an aristocratical Roman. Think about how we put leadership teams together today, right? Right? we try to make everything the same. Think about how we try to put churches together, right? We try to get same-minded people. We use the word like-minded, and we try to do all these different things to help everybody get on the same page. But I think this first modeling point from Jesus to the church was this. Sometimes we are greater because of our diversity than we are just being all one thought, right? Because these guys have to go out in the world and talk to the world, And the world's not all just one thought. Matter of fact, the world they were going to talk to is not even of the thought they have, the Christian thought, right? The idea that Jesus is Lord and Savior. So I just think this is a really super good point. Diversity of leadership allows for a greater reach in ministry. So we should, as a church, strive for that diversity whenever we can, whenever it's available, knowing that it was part of the initial modeling. Secondly, They did this while prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting opened the door for the Holy Spirit to speak. Now, we talked about fasting after church yesterday, uh, last Sunday. There was a lot of really good conversations about it, so let's clarify. A lot of questions still out there. Fasting is not food only, okay? Fasting is anything that you do on a regular basis that takes up your time and energy, So it can be a phone, it can be a computer, it can be a game that you like, it can be an activity, maybe you're a health person, you like to go do yoga or whatever. You can fast from something that takes your time and energy every single day. And under the pretense of having something that you believe God is trying to communicate with you, you take a period of time, a day, a week, a month, and you fast from that object so that every time your heart and your mind and your body desire that object and desire to spend time with that, you say no to that. No. I'm in charge of my body, my mind, and my soul. No to that. And what do you say yes to? Lord, what are you trying to say to me about this situation that I'm in? Okay? Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a job, whatever it is. But in order, in order to hear from the Holy Spirit, often you have to say no to your flesh. Okay? If you want to hear from the Holy Spirit, no to the flesh. And this is not an audible thing. So for those of you who are like, uh, I need to hear it. Okay, we just celebrated 38 years, Jen and I, on uh, Tuesday the 12th, <laughs> thank you, and uh, in typical ma- male fashion, I completely forgot, I was doing a ride-along, I'm with an officer, my really good friend officer, we have a really good time together, and she sends me a text and she says, are we doing something tonight, and I'm like, no, nah, it's Tuesday night, we don't do anything on Tuesday night. She's like, really? I'm like, no, why would we do something? She's like, how about our anniversary? I'm like, oh, yeah, we should probably do something. Uh, (laughs) Why don't you schedule something and we'll do it? And uh, Because I'm riding, I lost my brain. And uh, so we get to the place, and we go down to Wind and Sea down in Dana Point, lovely place, and we're sitting there in the water. And like for the first 10 minutes, we just stared and looked at each other, right? Because it's really nice. But we're kind of at a point in our relationship where probably more is understood than said. You guys like that with your relationship? You guys have another relationship. We don't have to say a lot of things anymore. Like, we're to the point now where I can just tell she's happy. And if, if I can tell she's happy and she can tell I'm happy, then I just want to sit in it, right? And it was like the boats were there and the sun was setting, and I knew they were going to have creme brulee because it's a nice place. You know, I was like, I was already thinking about dessert, and it was just like nothing had to be said. So I think sometimes about I'm a father who tries to understand in this world how a father in heaven communicates with me. People make too much of the audible and the big deal and the miraculous stuff. I think God wants to communicate with us in those same simple ways. Like the more time we spend with God, the more time you spend with someone you care about, the more you you don't need words, you know, right? And in that same way, I feel like that's the same way it is with this job, with with being involved in ministry. It's like the more time I spend with God, the more I'm starting to just know. I know when the Lord's speaking about something. And because of that, I think it's really exciting for me because I can think about, like, the Mary and Martha principle, right? It's like there's so many good things to do in life. There's so many opportunities for us to do. In a town like Costa Mesa, there's a ton of opportunities, right? But remember the Mary and Martha principle? They're doing a a dinner. They're doing an event, and it's really important. And big sis is running around. She's setting the table. She's going here. She's washing dishes, and she's doing all this. And she looks for little sis, and she's not helping so she's ready to, like, you know, straighten her out, right? And she goes and she sees her. What's she doing? She's sitting at the feet of Jesus. So she, she's big sis. She wants to be respectful. She cruises over. She says, hey, little sis, you know, we got stuff to do. We got stuff. Let's go, people. And little sis is Jesus. And who speaks on behalf for little sis? Jesus. And says, hey, I get what you're doing, and that's good. It's important. But what your sis is doing right now is better, Sitting at the feet of Jesus, you're not always going to have a chance to sit. When you get a chance to sit at the feet of Jesus, sit at the feet of Jesus. And so this is kind of my excitement about this second point. It's like, hey, we need to make time for the Spirit. We need to make time for the Spirit to speak, but He's not going to call us loud and noisy. He's not going to fight all the other things you want to say yes to. If you're saying yes to everything all the time and you're worn out and tired, then may I just encourage you this morning, it's time to say no. It's okay. I'm giving you permission. It's okay to say no to the good things say yes to the better things in life. God is calling us to do mission. God is calling us to do things. And sometimes the Spirit's actually calling us and telling us what to do, and we just can't hear it. And not everyone's going to do full-time mission in an amazing place like Costa Rica or Mexico or whatever, but all of us are going to be doing missions today somewhere in this town. And if it's too noisy, the Spirit, you're not going to be able to hear them. Verse 3, so after praying and fasting, what do they do next? They decided, they had the information come to them to ordain the first missionaries. To ordain the first missionaries means they're officially going to send someone. Remember I mentioned to you earlier the difference between sent and went. So this is a quick little take about church. I am one of those people that's very old school about a body of believers. You guys as a church, okay? I believe that when God calls you to another church or to another town or to another place, it happens. It's not easy easy to see you go, but I believe there's a way for you to go that's modeled right here in scripture, and this is the modeling that I'm talking about. When God sends his people to another place, he commissions them to be sent. So we advocate on behalf of that as the leadership, pastors, and the elders. We get together, and we pray, and we pray over that person. You are being called. We affirm that call, and we send you with the blessing of God. Now go, Okay, what that does for that individual is incorporate in them the idea that as they're walking out the door, or they get to wherever they're going, they're not alone. Okay, they have a family that loves them, they have people that care about them, and they've been prayed over and commissioned. That's really important if you want to go someplace and do something else, because you're going to have a lot of doubt when you get there. It's hard to leave your family, right? But it's always best to do it in a way that God has modeled for us. And this is what he's modeled. We commission and we send. What's the difference? You You went. Sent, went. You can go of your own volition at any time. You can go in the middle of the night. You can go in the middle of the week. You can tell two or three people, and it's hard to do. And I know that it's hard to do. But when you go on your own, what happens is you take that away from everyone else being involved in that corporate decision. You take away your baptism from being something where it blesses us corporately, and all of us get the blessing of hearing your testimony for the first time. And we are, as a body of believers, better together than we will ever be on our own. If God wants to send one of you, if you feel the call to go somewhere, please let us know. Please let the elders pray for you. And if it ends up being something that God is calling you, allow us the privilege to send you. You know, back in the old days, a church, uh, before you went to another church, you had to check with the pastor, right? And then when you got to another church, you'd meet with the pastor, and the pastor would say, where did you come from? right? And then you actually would sometimes call the other church and see if they were a, a member in good standing. Think about what we've done now. I just did my, the first membership class, which was fabulous. 14 people, really exciting. But we don't even sign, we used to have membership covenants. Remember that? Membership covenant, and you had to poke your finger and then do blood, and then then you got the paperwork. No, you didn't do that one? Okay, that was just mine. It was a small Baptist church in Santa Ana. There was only 36 of us, and we were there for life, and it was a con- no. I'm just saying, we've come a long ways from what God intended the church to be one family that was fully committed and fully in, right? I mean, I did scrap the covenant thing. I thought it was a little strong, and now it's like, if you tithe, if you regularly attend, and you serve in the church, you're a member. That's what members do, okay? If not, you're welcome to be a part of it in any way, shape, or form that works for you, but that's what a member does. That being considered, they had no doubt, okay? They were sent they were prayed for, and they were blessed. They didn't just leave on their own, and they knew it. So what happens? They go to the church in Antioch. They stop in Seleucia, and then they're going to end up sailing to Cyprus. Well, the reason why they go to Seleucia first is it's five miles straight up the river, and it's the next major port, okay? Sometimes when you're trying to figure out what to do, you just need to do what's obvious, okay? Mark put the map there. You can see Seleucia up there on the top. That's Seleucia is about five miles south of Antioch. So Antioch is right on the on the river that's going inland it's a port city so they just followed it upstream to the next major port And because they're up there sharing, and because the people up there are receiving it, they get this overwhelming sense, like, why are we telling people that we don't know? This is great. We get this as missions, but shouldn't we be telling our family and friends first? I mean, think about all the people that you know and I know that don't know the Lord. This is great, but is there another option? And so as soon as they're done there, they're going to turn from that point, and you can see they're going to sail straight across the ocean about 110 miles to Cyprus. Now, what's so crazy about Cyprus? Where's Barnabas from? he's the islander. He's from Cyprus. He knows that place. And so you're going to see some principles that I think show up when he does that. But one thing about verse 4 that tells me something else happened, he says that the Spirit of God called out the two. Remember, there's only five in leadership. There's only five in leadership. I'm sure they're well-liked and well-known. He calls out two what does that mean from this point on? Now, remember, the Bible is not written at this time. These guys are actually out there sharing the Bible. They're actually having revelations, prophetical revelations about what will be written one day. But what it does tell us is a principle that later on will be written by King Solomon in Ecclesiastes. What is the principle? Two are better than One. So for those of you who love that, that's a great marriage passage. I've used that at least five or six times in fabulous weddings. But the idea is if you're doing ministry now by yourself, then here's one of the new modeling tips that may help you today. I'm going to give you five. You find the one that helps you. Do ministry with somebody else. You need someone. Remember, one was an encourager. One was a comforter. One was the dark. One was the light. And one was aristocratical. And one was pharisaical. One was a, a, a Levite. You see all the diversity on that. It gives them a lot of different things to draw from. So when you go out to do ministry, that might not be your wheelhouse when you get to a certain people group. But then your partner can pick you up and have that support. And then you go from another one in my wheelhouse and you do this dog and pony thing where you're just trusting each other's things. But at the end of the week when you're both disgruntled and you don't want to do this anymore, someone has to pick the other person up. If you're by yourself, let me tell you how difficult it is. For those of you running through life solo, I get it but that's why it's always good. Join a small group at the church. Find a way to bring other people into your life, and then when you do reach adversity, invite other people in. You know, one of the single greatest things we do as a church is we reach adversity in our life or difficulty, and the first thing we do is we say no to all the people that try to help, right? Because it looks like we're weak, like we're some kind of in need of missions things. It's like, no, all of us have days when we're up. All of us have days when we're down, but as two of us go out and do that, you keep that kind of balance so that the line keeps moving because what has to continue no matter what? The word of God has to go out to the ends of the earth. So we don't ever want to be the reason that it stops. I mean, 120 miles away traveling by boat is no simple journey, but if you know that when you get there, your friends and family and people that you know are waiting, you're going to be pretty motivated, right? Simple modeling. I think that God models this for this. So what happens? They reached there, when they reached Salamis, all these food groups, Salamis, I don't know, my mind this week was like, I'm telling you, when I I read God's word, I was like, Lord, seriously, Salamis, when they reached uh, Salamis, began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues to the Jews that they had uh, finally reached, and they brought John as their helper. Okay, a couple cool things here. They're diversified. They have all these different things. But what do they actually do when they get to the towns? How do they find people to share with? You ever wonder, like, Lord, I understand you're calling me to do something, but what am I actually supposed to do? This is my encouragement to you. If God has actually called you to do something, he's going to send you to go do it, he's already equipped you to do it. You just need to go and trust him, and then it will show itself when you make that first step. Why? Because it turns out that there's something that exists in the world, not for me and you, But for a Jew who's pharisaical and for a Jew who's a Levite, here's what's available to them. The courtesy of the synagogue principle. Any of you guys used that recently? The courtesy of the synagogue principle? Let me read exactly what it It says. I'll find these things. Here we go. The principle says this. If you are known and respected within ministry, the ministry of Judaism, and you are passing through a given town, and you stop into a synagogue to listen to the synagogue, the Torah being read, at the end of the time, there is a point where the speaker has to ask, is there anybody here with us today? When he sees that Barnabas and Saul are with him, he then will acknowledge them. Do you have a word of encouragement for us? How cool is that? They didn't have to do anything all they had to do was what they already knew how to do. They went to the synagogue, listened to the Torah being read because this is what they know. Within that rule, there was a thing saying, if a traveling dignitary is coming through and they're known and respected in our faith and they're here, they might have something to say. We should probably ask them. And these guys break it out and they go, Jesus is the way. Jesus is the Messiah. And, they, and the, they're in the Jewish synagogue and they're bringing Jesus full bore. It doesn't turn out to be so good for them to do that, by the way. But there's a boldness that I just love about that. It's like, what do we do? And we say, Jesus, Jesus in the morning, Jesus in the evening, Jesus in the summertime, Jesus. And they just wanted to share because they love these people. And they wanted to use this opportunity that God had naturally created. They were within a crowd of believers who didn't know that Jesus was the true Messiah. And they took every opportunity to tell them. Now, would every one of them appreciate what they're saying and respond appropriately? No, but one or two did, Right and the seeds were beginning to be planted within the synagogues. Matter of fact, if you look at the early conversion rate, Pharisees were the highest conversion rate in the early Jewish church. They had been waiting for the truth, and they finally found it. Barnabas and Saul also bring, you see, the one little word, and they brought John, their helper. Just a simple little phrase, right? What's being modeled in that? Have you ever heard of mentorship? Have you ever heard of discipleship? Hey, these are important ships to sail on because it's not just what you know in life, it's what you pass on. Who is John Mark? Do you remember the naked little guy in the book of the Bible that's described as losing his clothes when Jesus is being arrested and he runs through the wilderness, John Mark? It's that guy. It's the young, youthful guy. You know who John Mark's mom is? One of the Marys. Which Mary? The Mary that owns the upper room where all the apostles are gathering, where all the disciples are gathering. He's hearing the word of God, and he's seeing all these guys. He's the little squirrel kid that drives everyone crazy. And so this is the first missionary, and these are the first sent out people, and they're bringing this little squirrel with them. Why? Because they want to show them what God is calling them to do. And how does he show his respect for the very first mission trip? As soon as there is a break, and they head for Cyprus, what does John Mark do? He goes home. He goes back to Jerusalem. He's like, "Time out, man. This mission stuff is too hard. I'm going home," and that really makes Barnabas and Paul mad. I mean, really mad. Right? He goes on one stop and he goes home. But it's okay. He got a little bit of it. It got under his skin. And John Mark is Mark who ends up writing the book of Mark. Okay. Mentorship and discipleship has been modeled for us in the Bible. Why is one of the things that I brought to this church six years ago when I got mentors? Why do we have interns in tech ministry we have interns in children's ministry we have interns in student ministry we must have like four or five interns because it's been modeled for us in the bible we need to not only tell the word of god say the word of god but show the word of god through the next generation and that's why you guys are blessed whenever josh gets a chance to share with the church because josh is the future generation of pastors He's gone to school to be a pastor. His family comes from ministry. His family runs a church in Arizona. Josh has aspirations of being a senior pastor one day. It's important for us to model for him what being a pastor is. So when he gets to share with you, you get to see what the next generation of pastor looks like. We're following God's word. The key is no matter what happens. You know, what happens in Salamis is not described in the Bible. What happened in Salamis so far, there's no, and thousands came, we're just, we're not seeing a lot of results or, you know, inference to that. What we're seeing is the idea is that we're faithful to do what God has called us to do, regardless of what happens with it. That's a really, really super important principle for you to understand. You do what God has called you to do, regardless of what happens when you do it, because that's what he called you to do, okay? The seeds are falling. The word of God is going out. It will multiply and grow in its own time because the word of God does not come back void. But the key point is this. We go in boldness to wherever God has told us, regardless of what happens. So they leave the island now, and they get to go see Paul's family and friends, and he is fired up. Verse 6, what happens when he gets there? He went through the whole island as far as Pamphos, all the way to the other side. And then they end up found a magician, a Jewish false prophet whose name was Bar-Jesus, they went through the island, the whole island, okay? The whole island. I think this is another modeling principle. So much of what we do today is partial. We like to do things to the partial or to the, you know, percentage or to a little bit. God does not call us to the partial or the percentage. If you are a follower of Christ and God has called you into ministry, he calls you to the full, right? hundred and one percent. When you're right, you're going to be hundred and one percent right. And when you're wrong, you're going to be hundred and one percent wrong. It's okay? Okay? We have a God who wants the full truth, nothing but the truth, so help him, right? When they get to that island, they don't just find a couple of spots where it's good and easy, and then they kind of move on. They take the time to work it all the way through, and in that, they end up finding a couple of different people, a Jewish magician and a Roman pro Most people would probably say from the two opportunities that exist, the Roman pro would be the ideal person to talk to, but what we're going to see, too, is they talk to both people equally and they bring the word of God to bear to both people. What they wait for is for the person to respond is how they're going to respond. So let's see, what did they do? Well, Bar-Jesus means son of Jesus. That actually made Luke, the writer of this book, so mad that Luke doesn't call him Bar-Jesus anymore from the thing. He goes to his actual name, Elimaeus, right? He doesn't even like saying son of Jesus. He's not. He knows he's not. He's a magician. Okay, why is he a magician? He's a magician because he's connected to a Roman proconsul what's a Roman proconsul? We don't really have those today. Well, a Roman proconsul would be someone who's in charge of a district or an area without having the whole Roman legion or Caesar being involved with it. Uh, Maybe today like a modern mayor, okay? He's in charge of a very important area and whatever he says goes. And so like it is today, um, I made a little side note, how many leaders today have magicians with them, Right? I think you have the main person who kind of says all the thing, and then they have the other person who kind of distracts everybody with the sleight of hand and kind of whatever. I think they probably modeled this from this. And, and so the magician is just trying to keep people entertained. The Romans were fascinated with the, with the arts, with all kinds of dark things. And so it makes perfect sense that a Roman proc- procurus who's in charge of all this stuff would also have a magician with him. But the two start to become in conflict because as soon as the men of God come and want to speak, the Roman individual hears this and he becomes curious. This is new information. I have never heard this before. I want to hear more. And the magician goes straight on the attack. And the magician literally starts doing everything he can to stop the word of God from going through to this Roman pro-council, because what is he saying? He wants that influence that he has with the Roman pro-council. The magician has literally been able to use the council's influence to do other things. So it turns into a war. Verse 7 tells us, Bar-Jesus, who was with the pro-council, Sergius Paulus, that's his name. He was a man of intelligence, but when he, in, when he summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God, it creates a problem, and I put a little note here. It's going to create a problem for you today when you actually start to talk to someone who's in control, and they start listening. If they start hearing or start mentioning anything about God, plan on it kind of exploding in your face, right? Sergius Polentius is a man of intelligence. That's all we know. He's not a believer. He clearly is not a believer because he's, he's spending his time with a magician, so he's not a believer, But he's a man of intelligence and his intelligence tells him these two guys that have just shown up in his town and the word of god that they're speaking is so different to him his intelligence tells him ask more questions find out more stuff that's why i said why do we share the word of god because everyone will make a decision of faith no everyone will not make a decision of faith but we share the word of god so that it can begin to speak to their spirit and the spirit of god can then begin to speak to them when in doubt and you have the opportunity do i talk to the magician or do I talk to the pro-council? You talk to them both, and you talk to them both equally. It's not up to you to determine who goes to heaven or why. That's not a decision we make or will ever be involved with. If you're being sent by God to speak the word of truth, you speak the word of truth equally to both sides, and you let the spirit fall on whoever it may, and how they decide is upon them. Eight, but Elamias the magician said uh, he was going to oppose them and he was seeking specifically to turn the pro away from listening to them because his influence on him was specifically part of his being able to listen to him. Now, all of a sudden, he's not only not listening to him, but he's kind of seeing him for what he is. And so he continues to go further with the guys. And this infuriates uh, El- Elimaeus. I just put this uh, in the end. Luke actually changes his name. If he could, he would just say it's Elimaeus the sorcerer. Like he wants him to be identified for who he is. And he wants everyone to know this is a sorcerer. This is someone who's taking information and shape-shifting it around so that it can be used for his benefit exclusively. But Saul, who's now going to be known as Paul, so verse 9 right there, that transitions, but Saul, who is now known as Paul, that's the official transition for Paul. He's no longer associating with his Roman name. He's he's made peace with it. That's who he was, Saul, but he is now Paul, and this is the call-out that God has given to him. And from this point on, he will only be called Paul in the Scriptures. Saul becomes Paul. He starts to take the lead. You know what? Here's what I know about you. I know that you're not of God, and I'm going to show you the real power. You've been sleight of hand in him the whole time. It's time for a little come to Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but this next modeling step is not as easy for everyone to do. But one of the things that it shows is when, when confronted with evil in your life, you need to model boldness. Model boldness. Okay. So what does he say? Verse 10 you who are full of deceit and fraud, you the son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness. I don't know about you, but those are pretty strong words 2,000 years ago, and if you tried them today, I would imagine they would bring about the same results. There's nothing about that that's indicating anything other than deceit, sorcery, and where it's actually coming from. He says. Will you not stop making crooked the straight ways of the Lord? And that is what someone who's a magician and evil will try to do. They will try to take the straight black and white truths of the Lord and they will try to bend it and confuse it and make it so that it's muddied and so the individual is not clear that the Lord is actually speaking to them and trying to show them something. The word deceit that he used here is the idea of guile. Like uh, Sometimes I hear words and I just think, to be beguiled, Right? once again, slide a hand, like, and you just, I think about the today, all these different people in news, you know, TikTok, media, influencers, all the, it it seems like that is kind of a way of the world right now, like, they're beguiling us, and they, and they use their influence, and they use their word to kind of create all these different things, it's like, this is not new, church, this has been going on from the very beginning, and that's why even his name, Bar Jesus, Son of Jesus, it exposes it at its very core, okay, the proconsul may not have known the truth, and he might have been associated with a liar, but the truth of God is so powerful that if you have any kind of wisdom at all, you will begin to hear it, and it'll speak to you even through the midst of a lie. So verse 11 tells us it's time. It's game on. Boldness is now going to transition into an action. Behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind, and you will not see for for the sun for a time, and immediately a mist of darkness fell upon him, and he went into seeking those about him so he could be led away by the hand. Now, from this, a couple of different things like this, I put the idea of, does this modeling sound like anything familiar to you? Blindness, not being able to see, a revelation of the truth, and being led by the hand? Let me read for you. My mind drifted. I found a passage where something sounded familiar. On his way to Damascus in a journey, journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground. He heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, who you're persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anymore. Saul got up from the ground. When he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. How about that for modeling? Saul remembered a time in his life when he knew it all and thought he had all the power. And, you know, he was the guy dealing the cards and watch me go. Boom, on the road to Damascus, he got knocked down. And the Lord called him out mightily and blinded him for a period of time. And then he was led about. He couldn't see by the hand. And so here's this magician. I don't know if this is exactly how it plays out, but it seems interesting to me that I could find almost a word-for-word scenario that's exactly what happened to him, and he puts this down. Is that loving? Is that kind? I don't know, but the results were powerful and positive for Paul. So it may not seem kind or whatever, but the boldness that I like here and the boldness that I want you to remember is if God has allowed you to go through a difficult time, if you have experienced at some point in your life where you had to really go through something that was like, Seriously, Lord, if there was another way around that, I would have chosen that. And he said, yeah, but I needed you to go through that. This is a great opportunity to understand why. Because maybe God is going to put you in front of someone in your mission trip, in your ability to communicate the truth, and the modeling of what God already did for you is going to allow you to be bold in front of someone else and say, you know what? There was a time when I could see and I was blind. There was a time when I thought I knew what I was doing and I wasn't, it wasn't the truth. So let me just pray for you right now that God would just stir in your heart the truth and you'd be able to stop seeing the lies that have been told you and see the truth about who God is all around you. If God allows it in your life, he will use it it's his responsibility to use it not yours to understand it but if god allowed it he will use it and verse 12 tells us how does it all end in the end what is acts about the whole book is it's about faith that's the entirety of of the church's birth it's about faith and verse 12 tells us then the pro council sergio polinus not sergio valente by the way for those of you are 80s people okay then the pro council believed what he saw and what had happened he was amazed at the teaching of the Lord. Sometimes miracles were used specifically to, to document the power of God. Even today, I think about that. I mean, I have, I'm not someone who believes like a lot of crazy miracles are still happening, but I also believe that a lot of miracles can still happen when the Lord deems it appropriate. He can do whatever He wants. But every salvation to me is still miraculous. And because of that, if God needed to do something back then, he was willing to do something back then because he knew this pro would have a lot of influence in the town that he was in charge of. And so he allowed him to see his magician, this person who had been around him, probably a friend and a confidant, but he allowed this magician to be seen in a different light. And he saw the word of God speaking to him, and the word of God became alive to him, and he responded to it immediately. Following the models that God has given the church ensure one thing, we get to the finished picture, right? We're trying to get to the result. We're trying to get a sh- rocket ship that can go up, explode, and drop a parachute and float back down to earth and be used again. It, we're trying to model something that's difficult to do, but if we just follow the patterns that God has given us, I think it works out a little bit better. Then on the way to Antioch, Pisidia, which is now believed to be the home of the Roman uh, Roman proconsul. So why did they go all the way through the island and fend at Pisid- um, Antioch of Pisidia? Remember, there's lots of Antiochs, I told you, in the Bible. In the end, they end up going all the way through the island, and then they continue all the way to Antioch, Pisidia. They found out, guess where the Roman proconsul was from? Antioch of Pisidia. So in leading him to the Lord at that time, now they find out his story. Now they find out who his people are, and so they're coming to the end of this Cyprus island journey. Where do they go next? The Lord has already opened the door. The person they're just leading to the Lord says, hey, could you take this word to my people? See, this is part of my problem. Like, I want to show the due diligence to the Lord. I want to put the time and energy and just say, Lord, I'm not afraid of taking the time to do whatever you want me to do. So I'll just work extra hours and figure it all out. And he's saying, I appreciate that. But remember, the old thing is work smarter, not harder, right? How I, here's how I want you to work smarter. Take some time and fast take some time and say no to a few other things so that I can talk to you, because I actually have a game plan for you. The fact that we're in the book of Acts right now, it just really came to when they asked me to take over the church and where we were going and what we were doing. I said, what could we talk about that would be really beneficial to being in 2023 where we are right now? And I thought, let's just go back to when it all started. Let's just go back to when the first church had to be birthed, and what are the things that God showed? And it's been very timely. Matter of fact, when I listen to the radio, the one thing that I find very unique now as a senior pastor is I find other pastors are all on the same wavelength. Somehow it seems like we're all kind of hearing the same wavelength and the same, same ideas. And sometimes in my car, I just have to pull over and go, seriously, Lord? Like, seriously? Like, it's that connected? It's that connected, okay? He never intended for us to do this alone, and he never intended us to do this on our own volition and our own mind. He always had a way and a plan. The problem is... We're so committed to our own heart and our own mind and our own ways that even though he says, lean not to your own ways, but in all ways acknowledge me, we don't. So let me just review. Diversify. Get some other people in your life that maybe have some different opinions. Not everyone has to believe like you. Not everyone has to see like you. Maybe it'd be beneficial for you to have someone who doesn't believe everything that you believe. Just so it could remind you that you're gonna be talking to other people in life and not everyone's a magician but not everyone's a Roman pro either. Be able to talk to both equally about the love of God. If you're commissioned by God and you've been sent by God, then you're not alone. You're not doing this alone. So don't go at it alone. I understand that your life has created a situation where you kind of feel a little bit alone, and you're kind of, but that doesn't mean you have to be exclusively alone. Join a small group. Get some, you join a two, three group. What, talk with Terry about this little group of three they have, these little triangles or triads or whatever you, build an orca pod. I don't care what you do, but get some people in your life that you can share life with that have some diversity about their lives, and then draw from that diversity. Why? Because people need to be mentored, people need to be discipled, you can't just shut it down. You can't take what you have and put it on a shelf and say, well, I'm all done, Lord. You know, I'm at this stage in my life. Moses was 80 when the Lord called him to ministry. So there's no time frame on ministry. You're not, you don't do ministry and then you're done and you can retire from ministry. You might retire from your job, but you will never retire from ministry. Fully commit. Wherever you get to where you're going, whatever God has called you to do, if it's on a golf course, in a bowling alley, I don't care what it's at. If it's on a motorcycle bike ride with five other guys, fully commit. Go as bonkers as possible on the ride. Enjoy it all. The highest leathers you can get. Do whatever it is. And when you guys are all sitting around and everyone's doing their thing, just remember to start it with prayer. Thank you, Lord, for keeping us safe on that ride. It was amazing. And just bring it home. Everything you do, you do for a reason. You do it to represent the kingdom of God. And finally, when evil does come your way and you are being attacked and you will be attacked, don't be afraid. God doesn't call us to a, a sphere, uh, the, the spirit of timidity. We're not called to be afraid. Remember, if you're afraid of anything in the Bible, Proverbs 1-7 tells you verbatim what you're to be afraid of. Proverbs 1-7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, okay? Biblical fear is not this kind of fear, right? It's not, ah, like, oh. okay? Biblical fear is this kind of fear, ah, oh awe, A-W-E. You, you understand who God is, you understand what Jesus can do, and you revel, reverentially in awe humble yourself before him. That's the kind of fear that will get you going in the right direction. That's biblical fear and wisdom is the result. i call the band back up here and I'm going to pray and I'm going to remind you of one final thing for today. Prayer and fasting. I talked about it last week, I talked about this week. There's no doubt in my mind that after sharing this with you, I believe that god's calling some of you guys to prayer and fast so i'm going to pray and i'm going to ask specifically that god would begin to speak some things to you guys about this prayer and fasting thing because for some of you guys you've been close to faith your whole life for some of you, you've been around faith and it kind of seems like it's making sense but it's still a little bit of a struggle so this morning i'm going to pray for you that god would break through that he would break through whatever it is he's been trying to show you. Whatever age you are, whatever status in life you are, young and old, it doesn't make a difference. God uses everyone. Everyone has a job. And remember, I told you, there's nothing random. We don't have the random wheel of God's, oh, today it's this. Nothing about that is our God. Everything is specific and for a reason. So let me pray. Father God, this morning I know that there's people listening online. I know there's people in-house and maybe people that will listen to the message eventually in a period of time that need to be encouraged and to be reminded that nothing about being commissioned is random. If we're commissioned to boldly go into the world, if we're commissioned to follow the blueprints of the things that you have given to us, and if we're commissioned to do this life with others, for others, to serve others, then there's a way that we probably can do it that's going to be the most proficient. And it's a way that involves saying no. And I I just don't think that's what we're hearing in the world today. The world wants us to say yes to everything. And ultimately by saying yes to everything, we, we cut out the time that we need for you. We cut out that still quiet voice that wants to speak in the darkness to say, hey, I know you're alone. I know financially you're struggling. I know your marriage is struggling. I know you have that prodigal child still. And you're thinking, how long will my child be wayward? And the answer is the thief on the cross. That child never came home. That child never answered that mother's prayer or that father's prayer to be reconciled. Nope, the only way the thief on the cross was ever gonna be reconciled was miraculously, to hang on a cross next to the one and only Son of God. And finally, in that final opportunity, after starting with laughter and starting with slander, it ended with a humility. And in one of the simplest requests ever made to the king of kings, the Lord of lords, remember me. And instantly, God's son responded, today you will be with me in paradise. Father God, keep us focused on the main thing. May everything that we continue to do as a church grow because we're so seeking the kingdom of God above this kingdom. Everything about this kingdom and everything about this world will will go away. Don't invest your hopes or your treasures here. It's going to go away. But everything about investing in the kingdom of God will pay exponentially. Keep us on track, Father. Keep us focused. Thank you for the privilege and opportunity to serve. We ask you, senior son, precious and holy name.
1: I love to hear the voice of God We'll call on the name of the Lord for he hear your voice, and we thank you that uh, you're always there talking to us, and we just need to listen. So I agree with my, my brother, with my pastor Jeff, and, and uh, about prayer and fasting, that as we clear out our ears, we clear out space in our lives, that, that you'd guide us, that you'd, you'd lead us the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the lord and you've made us righteous through your spirit living in us and, and we just want to align with you and follow where you lead we thank you for the adventures that you lead us into and the glory that you manifest as you flow through us and you touch a hurting and hungry world lord so we go forth in your name lord jesus your spirit to the glory of god the father bless you church go in grace today